0: Tfm. Welcome, Boomers, to another episode of Warp 5, our dedicated Star Trek Enterprise podcast. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me, as he always is, is my esteemed co-host, Matthew Rushing and Matthew I just have one question for you today if you could travel back in time tell me what year you would choose and also why it's 1588
1: wait have we had this conversation before Chris
0: um you know I I think we did it sounds familiar I hope this doesn't keep happening throughout the episode today
1: yeah, me either. Because it, you, you remember, it's it's because, you know, I've always wanted to learn how to sword fight. Oh, that's, yes, exactly. I remember you telling mm-hmm. me that. Yeah, that so and, to, and to be able to share some mead, you know, with, with some monks. <laughs>
0: well, that's the primary reason to go back. Uh, and And based on this episode, it might be Tholian mead that they're drinking back then for some unknown reason. It made its way back. Yes, today, everyone, we are going to be continuing our 20th anniversary rewatch of Enterprise with Season 2, Episode 16, Future Tense, where some timey-wimey things do happen. And here is a quick rundown of the story. A mysterious ship leads the crew of the Enterprise into the mysteries of time and DNA, as they find themselves once again mixed up with the Sulaban and the Temporal Cold War. When the Tholians show up, things get really messy, and the crew must race against time to save the ship and unravel. When the Tholians show up, things get really messy, and the crew must race against time to save the ship and unravel. When the Tholians show... Uh,
1: Matthew, haven't we done this I intro
0: think, th- already?
1: Yeah, I-, I think you've said that part before.
0: I think so. And uh, this does not bode well for us. This has now happened twice, Matthew. <laughs> I hope we can get through this episode. Now, let's just jump into the temporal Cold War component of it, because what really stands out to me with this episode is the fact that we're more than halfway through the season. 16th episode, this is the first time that we've heard about the temporal Cold War since the opening of the season in Shockwave Part 2. And it's just kind of a re- reminder to us that this plot line is there, the one that the studio wanted that got thrown into Enterprise that uh, Mm -hmm. some people love, some people don't. What did you think about it showing up here?
1: Well, I think this was an interesting way to tackle uh, the temporal Cold War and, and kind of show some of the impact of it on other races other than just humans. But also, you know, it's it's different. We're not getting Daniel showing up and those kind of things, and we really just run into this mystery, and, you know, we have absolutely no idea how this ship gets here. We don't really get any answers to any of that. But it, I think the other thing that it really does is that it makes Archer a lot more proactive in mm-hmm. this idea, which is that he wants some answers, and he basically wants people to just stop messing with time in the 22nd century. He wants to be rid of this. And 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 in many ways, I think that's interesting commentary because, you know, there were fans at the time who actually felt the same way. Mm-hmm. And because... You, you, know, you mean they, they wanted really the
0: temporal sh- Cold War plot to just be out of the show, right?
1: Right, right. Because they weren't really sure where it's going and those kind of things. So I remember having those conversations back then. And with that, I just I think... They did a really good job of, of kind of giving us a mystery that reminds us that the temporal cord war is a thing that's happening, but. We're, we're doing this in a completely different uh, way than the other episodes that we've done so far. And we've created some really interesting mysteries who this ship belonged to. Uh, you know, we, we get some peaks into the future, which are very interesting as we go through, uh, you know, the database there, we see some ships that we're familiar with, some ships mm-hmm. we're not familiar with, which is really interesting. We learn that Vulcans and humans and lots of other species apparently can, Procreate together, which, you know, we didn't know at this point, or at least to Paul hasn't really let on that that's been a thing. You know, she says it's very rare for Vulcans to mate outside of, um, you know, other Vulcans. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think what we do is we just add a lot of little details in this episode. And it is, I think, more than anything, it's just an interesting mystery, uh, which, because of the nature of the temporal Cold War story, doesn't get answered. Here, uh, but leaves us with, I I think, more questions that we want answered, which is Mm -hmm. which is fun in all honesty.
0: Yeah, it's a good point in how they're approaching it in a different way because the temporal cold war being introduced at the beginning is very human centric, but here the person inside the time ship is human, but as we come to learn. His genetics are all mixed up from what says, are probably generations of interspecies breeding. And so he's not purely human. And having the Sulaban involved, of course, makes sense. But having the Tholians show up was interesting to me because, like you said, there are other people involved. And here, the Temporal Cold War, you get the feeling a bit more at this point that humans are just kind of mixed up in this for some reason, which later on we'll learn more about but that also lends itself to archer's feeling of like people just stop messing with time with us you know let us be ourselves and explore on our own and stop messing with the 22nd century but the tholian introduction here i thought was was really fun it's the first time that we've well we don't get to see them here but we get to hear them it's the first time we've encountered the tholians since the tholian web back in the original series and so that was great.
1: Well, and it's cool, too, because they don't ever, they don't show us the Tholians either. You know, they, they we just yeah. hear them and we just right. see their ships, which I think yeah. is great. Uh, but I loved your point there about the fact that, you know, we bring in another species that this temporal Cold War is uh, affecting that we didn't know about. Mm-hmm. We knew the Sulaban, mm-hmm. but now the, mm-hmm. the fact that the Tholians are involved... Uh, I think really piques people's interest because you know mm-hmm. it's it's a race that we know from the original series. We haven't spent a lot of time exploring, uh, other than you know if you'd read novels and stuff. So this mm-hmm. is, I think, really that was another really good introduction here in this episode. And again, it deepens that mystery of what in the world are they doing in the 22nd century that we're we're getting all of these divergent races involved in this in Mm -hmm. the first place.
0: Exactly. Let's jump down because this ties into what we're talking about right now to the end of our outline where I put an item called too much or too little information. So you're talking about how Archer wants people to stop messing around with time and he wants to, he doesn't want to be part of this temporal cold war, but it's also a big mystery to him and everyone what's going on. So there was an original uh, approach to the ending of the story that Mike Sussman had, where a human from the thirty-first century would appear on the bridge of the Enterprise at the end of the episode and explain that the body that they found in the ship—that that's actually him—and he's come back to retrieve the body and to retrieve the ship. And then while he's there, he would also give Archer a bit of background on the temporal Cold War and the Tholians and their involvement in it, and. I was wondering what you think about that, if that had been the ending and how it might have affected Archer and the story and the temporal Cold War timeline, because he would have gained information that he doesn't have now. And it would have really, I think, changed the trajectory of the Enterprise story itself in that case.
1: Mm -hmm. You know, I I think that this is actually a great idea. Um, if there's one major knock, I think, against the episode is that it just leaves a lot of hanging chads, you know. Uh, yes, that's a 2000 election <laughs> reference. So, yeah. um, but that's really a problem. Also with a the great, is a that, great
0: uh, punk band as well, the hanging chads.
1: I mean, it should be. It should be, yeah. you know. Um, and it would have given, given you know, Archer, a, you know, time to say a, li- a line like, time's up. I want answers now, you know. And <laughs> yeah. so uh, yeah, this is this is really just an issue with the episode is that you know, it is a fun interesting mystery to which, you know, we don't actually get any answers in the end, which that's actually really frustrating because mm-hmm. we spend all this time with all of this interesting technology from the ship and this interesting mystery from the ship and to to have real really no payoff to that. Um and i i honestly don't remember but i don't feel like this has any bearing on the rest of the temporal cold war story that we get which is a little bit frustrating i don't i don't remember this really having any tie in to that but i could be wrong and that's the fun of doing this rewatch and mm-hmm. not having seen enterprise in a couple of years all the way through is mm-hmm. that i don't quite remember all the story points as is in detail as i do with something like deep space 9 so yeah um, but, but you know what I'm saying? I mean, does do you feel the same way or, or, or would you mm. maybe like a halfway or something?
0: Yeah, maybe halfway or I don't know. I have two thoughts. If the story of Enterprise were to be focused on the temporal Cold War, that's the central focus of the series, then I think you could have this ending and it would help build that story because you would need... The humans, you would need Archer to get more involved. And he needs more information to go on if that's going to be the case. For me, this episode, I think it works better the way that it does play out. I like the mystery element of it. I think that if someone had shown up at the end and explained all of this, for me, it would have kind of weakened the episode because I like the mysterious nature of it. And also, it, it's hard to go back and remember when this first aired, because now I think of it within the context of the entire series. And like you, I'm not as fresh on everything that's going to be coming up as I am with Deep Space Nine or some of the other series, because I haven't watched Enterprise in a few years either, uh, straight through. But knowing that there's more to this story down the road, I can take this episode more as a bridge and a reminder. First and foremost, I see it as a reminder to everyone that, hey, there's this temporal Cold War Mm -hmm. thing going on. And there are these aliens called the Sulabine, and they're still around. and. There's just mysterious stuff going on out there and humans aren't ready for it yet. It goes back to that premise of Enterprise that humans are just taking their first steps out into space and there are these great mysteries, uh, as, as Q would later tell Picard. you know, There are these great mysteries in the universe and humans are not quite ready for it yet. And so I like the story for that reason. I think I prefer the ending the way that it played out And having everyone be puzzled by everything vanishing and not knowing uh, where the ship went. But Mm -hmm. uh, I can definitely see how it can be unfulfilling for someone Mm -hmm. who wants to have uh, an episode with an actual ending to it.
1: Well, and I I mean, you know, you could have split the difference and and had, Mm -hmm. you know, some of the answers and, you know, at least some explanation uh, in some way but maybe not go to an extreme of of kind of giving too many answers, you know. Um, So I just think it would be nice to have something um, rather than nothing. I I do think to me that's, that's where the episode, it just falls down a little bit in the sense that it seems like more of a filler episode because I don't really see how it connects with the rest of the temporal Cold War in a in a way that really makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and
0: yeah, I think that's part of the problem with the temporal Cold War is the reason that it never really took hold is that yeah, they yeah. revisit it so infrequently that mm-hmm. that's why I feel that's like this point. episode is a reminder to everyone that that storyline is still out there and. Therefore, yeah, you feel like it's <laughs> yes, maybe not, a great not going point. anywhere, right? Hey,
1: yeah. guys, we're still here. We're still
0: <laughs> here, yeah. We're still here. And look, we brought some friends. The Tholians are with us this time. <laughs> Wouldn't you like to have dinner with a Tholian and just chat for two hours with that screeching in your ear?
1: Uh, No, thank you. <laughs> All right. That's, that's kind of like listening to somebody r- rake their nails on a chalkboard for a few hours.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I love that. That voice is actually just a computer-generated voice. It's not a, uh, uh, it's oh, not a, sure. like a yeah. human voice with the manipulation on it. It's just computer-generated. So, uh, and it sounds like it for the time period. So, okay, well, let's talk about fun with time because the the thing I really love about this episode actually is the time looping, which we were joking about at the beginning. Because I love episodes of Star Trek or any stories that deal with time and time travel. I've always been fascinated with time ever since I was a kid. And this one has the elements that remind me of stories like cause and effect on The Next Generation, except on fast forward, where you're just quickly going through it because it's not dragged out. It's not the central point of the story, but you get these fun moments. My favorite one is, of course, when Tripp and Malcolm are trying to figure out how the, mm-hmm. the ship works and the circuitry works, and they have that conversation about time travel in 1588 and the Stegosaurus and him being an herbivore and all that. And it keeps looping, and that little moment is fun, and then we get it again later on when Archer and Malcolm are trying to manually arm the torpedo. How did you feel about these elements of the story
1: without them being the central focus? Well, I think what it's interesting is, you know, they don't know what the radiation is coming from mm-hmm. the ship, but if you're a Star Trek fan, you can piece together that these are probably chroniton particles mm-hmm. that are causing this thing to happen. So if the closer you are, the more likely you are to experience this type of time loop mm-hmm. and so I thought that that was really interesting and it was a lot of fun as well because you are also able to ratchet up the tension by Mm -hmm. creating these scenarios where characters are having to do things multiple times. They don't know how many times and they don't really know what time has passed outside of them. And so really they're just kind of in a time frack, you know, it's like Mm -hmm. there's, there's no time to talk about time because they literally don't have the time. Um, And I, I love that. And, 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 that is one of the smart things that you can do with this type of episode. And I think, you know, that is one of the places where I think they actually did a very good job uh, mm-hmm. with that. And so, uh, and it, it well, again, it just made it fun. Yeah.
0: Well, I like the fact that at the end, Malcolm recognizes that the time looping might be isolated to, the two of them, like it might not be happening everywhere. Right, exactly. And I thought that was a smart little bit of writing and acknowledgement in the episode that they may not, like you say, understand what the radiation is and how it is affecting things. But they do come mm-hmm. to understand that it could be limited to certain areas and like proximity to the radiation Yes. is causing the time looping rather than it just being some spatial phenomenon that's happening and, and affecting mm-hmm. everybody. And therefore, they might be running out of time without realizing it because time is passing at the normal rate outside of the ship or even the room where they are. So, so that was a lot of fun. And then another fun thing about the episode is the Doctor Who inspiration for the future ship the idea of a TARDIS. And mm-hmm. uh, Mike Sussman joked in a magazine article about this episode that uh, his idea of having the ship turn into a TARDIS would be, was nixed by the producers right away. So, But I, I thought the idea, it's really fun. I, I think a lot of people, especially Americans, and especially I feel like at the time this episode came out, probably not very familiar with Doctor Who, and so maybe uh, don't make an immediate or didn't make an immediate connection to the idea of the TARDIS and then the ship. Uh, I might be wrong about that. I know that I was not really uh, very aware of Doctor Who back at the time that this episode first aired, mm-hmm. and but I have become more so over the years since. And I I just thought it was really fun to see these 22nd century humans encounter something like that. And uh, with Trip being an engineer and yet being so odd uh, at what he was seeing, uh, what did you think mm-hmm. about that? And the idea of using a concept like that in the future for starship design, which allows you to, to do things
1: right. that you just can't do with traditional
0: uh, construction.
1: I mean, the, like Trip said, you know, Understanding the spatial geometry, how that's even possible, uh, you know, you are you basically just creating a pocket dimension, you know, so that mm-hmm. you're able to do that, and how all that works, you know, I I, I know there's, uh, having watched Doctor Who, there's explanations a little bit of how that it's bigger on the inside, uh, but no, I mean, I, I think it was interesting to use that as the idea so that they know kind of pretty quickly that this is a ship from the future you know this Mm -hmm. is not something that we anybody we can think that could design this at this time period and so i think that's a really smart thing for them to have done and it is fun you know like i think that's one of those things where it does add this interesting element that we've never seen in star trek before and i I think it it adds a, a layer to the sense of like you you really do get a sense of, of who these people are in this temporal Cold War and or like these, you know, Trip thinking that, or I think it's it's Archer thinking that, uh, you know, this is possibly one of the time historians. Um, yeah, right. And so yeah. them being in a stealth ship that's very small but is bigger on the inside makes a lot of sense. It, it was interesting to me that the idea that this ship is bigger on the inside uh, but we, it really only seemed to be like it, there's this engine room. I mean, it, it, you know, you wouldn't create more space than just that. So mm-hmm. I, I wish we had kind of gotten a chance to explore a little bit more in this ship. I think that would have been really fun. But uh, all I'd say, you know, yeah, I, this is this is a great sci-fi idea. It's one of the reasons why Doctor Who's lasted so long and people love it mm-hmm. is because of that that fun. Uh, idea that you know something could be so advanced it's bigger on the inside so yeah th- this mm-hmm. works I think really well especially when you think that this comes from the 31st
0: century
1: <laughs>
0: I think that the uh, budgetary restraints probably kept them from showing us more that's of the probably ship. true yeah 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 I can imagine the ship probably does have a lot more to it than what we got to see Uh, So yeah, I I love this idea. And also as a Star Trek fan watching, you mentioned earlier that as a Star Trek fan, you can imagine that it's chroniton particles that are affecting the crew, even though they're not aware of that yet. And the other thing here is early in the episode, when they realize that the ship has organic circuitry, at that point, they don't yet know that the ship is from the future. But Mm-hmm. You're watching and you can already guess, okay, the ship is from the future. there's right. a human inside, it's organic circuitry. It's an ex- it's an evolution of Voyager. It's an evolution mm-hmm. right. of the bioneural gel packs and the circuitry on Voyager. So that I thought was a really fun way to loop in fans with a connection to Star Trek's future, that would be, would be lost on the actual characters themselves because they don't right. know yet. And even when they learn that it's from the future, they they still won't get it, right, because Voyager hasn't been right. created yeah. yet.
1: They're not going, so, oh, that's going to happen in Voyager. Remember that yeah, episode? Right. Yeah, yeah,
0: right, right. <laughs> okay, so the other thing, a more serious thing I wanted to talk about is to T'Pol in this episode because it really stood out to me, and I tweeted this when I was re-watching it, that Jolene Blaylock does such a brilliant job of playing a Vulcan. Vulcans are notoriously difficult to play. Mm -hmm. And her character in particular, I think is very difficult to play because she has to find this balance between the stark logic of the character that we were introduced to and then this evolving character who's being influenced by being around humans. And Jolene does it so well with her eyes, just with her facial expressions, these like gazes off into the distance sometimes when mm-hmm. Archer or Trip or someone is talking to her about something that is clearly making her uncomfortable. And in this episode, time travel is one of those things, the idea of humans and Vulcans mating is one of those things. You can tell that In-universe, this character of T'Pol is really having her beliefs challenged by everything Mm -hmm. that's happening around her. And this story, I think, one thing that does not make this a filler episode, regardless of the time travel elements, is its importance to her character development. And so I wanted to get your thoughts on both the challenges that she's facing and how Jolene Blaylock is portraying that as an actress.
1: Yeah, I think you rightly point out that this episode does wonders for this character. And that is probably uh, one of the biggest redeeming qualities of it is the way that we do very much challenge to Paul in a way that's hard for her, I think, to uh, really deny. I mean, one, we're using the technology that comes from the future of, uh, from Daniels. I mean, there's how could that not be from the future? Um, we, we have a ship here and a person that, you know, challenges all of T'Pol's preconceptions on what's possible for Vulcans. And the ship itself, it, it's one of those things. And, and I think that Enterprise does a beautiful job of, especially in the time that it's coming out, of showing somebody... Be so certain of of what they think the universe is, and on, on, in all honesty, uh, be so aware of that the belief that they they believe they know everything basically almost there is a know, and then having to deal with the fact that that's not the case, and I I think that's really important and. As I was thinking about her development, you know, I I think everybody can see themselves in that character, right? Where something that we've held on to is challenged, and we either are open to the challenge, and if that can fit in with our preconceived notions, or if that needs to change, and you it's, it's, a, it's a cool thing because, in the end, Vulcans and their logic there, we can see where, you know, she says that it's illogical. That's why she doesn't believe it. But mm-hmm. why is it illogical? Well, she believes that for a bunch of preconceived notions of what she thinks is possible mm-hmm. and or logical. But in all honesty, the most logical answer is that it is from the future. Right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I just think the the way that she plays it and the storyline that we're getting there for to Paul are a wonderful challenge to all of us as we watch the episode. Where are the places to which we're holding on to beliefs or ideas or any of those type of things that uh, don't comport with reality? And mm-hmm. are we going to actively deny those things and just pretend like they don't exist or are we going to learn to deal with them mm-hmm. and um and live with them so i, I think you know you're 100 right that that's a really important part of this story and it's it's uh i think it's again you you rightly pointed out that Julian playlock and and i was noticing this during the episode too it's just The way that she is able to, with a slight inflection of her voice, Mm -hmm. show that she's perturbed or frustrated or annoyed or slightly worried or any of those things, she does a very good job of it. And we're just talking, it feels like just like centimeters of of difference. But no, she just does it really well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it comes off as completely natural that the way
0: that she is expressing what's going on inside. She keeps denying time travel, uh, denying the possibility that humans and Vulcans could breed. And she says it, but her expression tells you something different. You, you, she mm-hmm. she wants to keep believing it. She really, really wants to keep believing it. And she will deny that time travel is possible, but if you watch her face, you can tell like she's really struggling with this idea. And I just think that's it's so well done, so well portrayed. And this episode definitely is a a point of evolution for her character. And we get one of those moments that I love in Enterprise, the alien mealtime chat between Phlox and T'Pol because they're the only two aliens yep. on the ship and periodically they get together. I feel like we haven't had one in a while, but they periodically get together and they talk as the two aliens about what's going on on the ship. And you always see that contrast between the two of them and how they view the world and how their species view the world. And here, Phlox tells her that he believes in surprises and she says that she would rather mm-hmm. embrace logic but like you said it is more logical to believe that this device comes from the future than not because where else did it come from who else would have created right. this and 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 I think she knows that like totally inside now she knows but she just cannot yet get past her upbringing and her training yeah. to let go of of what she's always believed in light of new information. So great part of the story. absolutely. So what are your uh, final thoughts on this one and what's your rating?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think this is a good episode. Um, I I think... You know, from what we talked about, uh, there's some things I I liked a lot, um, but there are also some places where I just felt like the episode could have been a little bit better. And so I'd I'd give this about three and a half out of five redos.
0: Did you say redos? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Yeah, you can always watch parts of this one over and over and over again. All right. Well, yeah, my final thoughts on it. I've probably pretty much said everything already. I think it's a fine episode. I love episodes that deal with time in this way. I think it works well having an open-ended question at the end and just reminding us about the storyline and pushing it forward a little bit. I do think the Mm -hmm. strength of the episode is what we just talked about, which is Topol's character growth But I really enjoy this one. I'm going to give it eight generations of interspecies breeding. Nice. Everyone, we would love to hear your thoughts on future tense and what you think about the temporal cold war to Paul's character development and so forth. There are many ways for you to share those thoughts with us. Perhaps the best way is to go to Facebook and join the Babel Conference. That is our closed listeners group. If you're already a member, you know what to do, but if not, just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L into the search field and it should come up. If not, type the Babel Conference, the full name. It is a closed group just for listeners to extend the conversation beyond the podcast. So if you're joining for the first time, please do answer the questions and agree to the rules of the forum so that I can let you in. And then you'll see a post for this episode there on the timeline and you can share your thoughts with Matthew and me as well as fellow listeners right there. If you'd like to send us email, you can do that. Go to our website, contact. use the form you find there, and choose to send to a show. Choose Warp 5, and that will come to Matthew and me in a tiny ship from the future. And you can find us elsewhere in social media, on Instagram, Twitter, everywhere. Our username is trekfm. And if your podcast app of choice allows you to leave a rating and a review, we'd love to get that from you as well. Find out what you think about the show and help others decide if they'd like to listen to Warp 5 and join us in our 20th anniversary rewatch. Now, Matthew, when you're not just repeating the same thing over and over, where can people find you?
1: Well, of course, Fris, uh, you can find me all over the place on social media under the name Matt Rushing 2 uh, here on the network. You'll also find me in the 602 Club, which is our whole side of the network where we don't talk Star Trek, but we talk all of those other fandoms that we love. There are some bonus shows there as well, uh, doing with John Mills, like uh, Assembling Avengers or Snyder Cuts that you can find in the same feed. Uh, and then, of course, uh, talking about the books and the comics of Star Trek on literary tracks and then we talk about star trek d space nine on the orb chris we also do strange new world show called saddle up and the artificial tango where we talked about star trek picard uh and then over on the nerd party network i have two shows one is completed and it's called owl post drea kaufman and i talked about every single chapter of the harry potter series one chapter at a time Uh, and then john mills and i do Aggressive negotiations, which is a Star Wars podcast. But uh Chris, when you are not trying to find your way through this building that seems like it's bigger on the inside than out, where could people find you?
0: Yeah, I keep getting lost in here. Just the corridors are endless. It looks so small outside. <laughs> but when I'm not doing that, you can find me elsewhere on the network. As you mentioned, doing all of those shows with you, Larry Nemachek and I do the ready room from time to time, and you can find me in mini episodes in the back catalog. If you'd like to chat in social media, you can find me online. My username is C Brian Jones. That's the letter C and Brian with a Y. That is my username everywhere in social media, but Twitter is where I'm most active, so I'd love to chat with you over there. And if you'd like to help us keep this show and the whole network going, we could definitely use your help. It does take a great deal of money to keep all of this going. And we would not be here without your support. As you know, we don't have any ads in our shows, so we could really use your assistance. And if you'd like to find out how to do that, just visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm and find out how to get involved in the network. We send a huge thank you to everyone who's supporting us now. Like I said, we would not be here without you. So thank you very, very much. Well, Matthew, I'm looking forward to our next discussion as we talk about the episode Canamar, which... To me, it always sounds like a song title from like the early 1980s or the late 70s. Chris, isn't that
1: an Earth, Wind, and Fire song? I think it is. That's what I'm thinking of. Hmm. Yeah. Well, you know what? Panamar! I can't wait to listen to it, so (laughs) let's go!